0: Like to contact the show, send us an email at, live on four legs at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at live on four legs pod
1: So we finally made it to Vegas. It took us a while.
2: Believe me, you're worth waiting for us.
0: Um,
1: I'm just excited because uh, it's our second night here. Uh, Only one more show after this. And then we're going home.
2: This tour has been about uh,
0: six weeks. I haven't lost my pants once. And, uh, you can probably guess how many pair I have. And actually,
1: you know what? I remember now, I did watch them once. I got, like, blood and beer, um, uh, because I got a fight. I don't know why I brought that up. I'm just excited to... Actually, I think I'm just excited to watch them. <laughs> but, you
0: know, you're not really, uh... You're not really grungy unless you got a sty in your eye. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the Live Pearl Jam Podcast Experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gotham!
1: Fucking camera in the jump
0: Mr. Boom Gasper!
2: You can call me L, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking call me, why don't you?
0: Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Hey, if you've been listening for the last three weeks, guess what we're doing? Another 1993 show. We're just moving down the trail along the tour of what they did in November and December that year. And that takes us to a show that is the second night of Las Vegas. Now, everybody knows the first night. The first night is pretty significant. We've done that on the podcast before. It is a vault, and it's obviously the Vegas show with the Green River reunion that everybody talks about. They debuted Tremor Christ Live at that show, so there's a lot going on, and we talked about that at full length, but this one, it doesn't feel like it necessarily gets the same sort of love as the first show does, because it doesn't have those aspects, but... It has enough where we'll have some good conversation, and that's what's good about these shows, because we can just put them on your radar, and this is a great show to do that with. So, Randy Sobel over here, John Ferrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, man. So, Vegas. Vegas, another 1993 show. Yeah, deep in it. Yeah, so this is sort of a good point now to kind of go back a little bit because now we know a little of what happened in November. We're kind of familiar with things. So how do you see this tour and how it's evolved over time? And I know we talked about it a lot last week with Jonathan Cohen, but what kind of things are you noticing as we go down through the weeks? Oh, just the performances
1: themselves and like some of the intensity that we talk about, like the ferocity just... It's been a while, like, I don't think I ever have done this, like, sit back and go through a run of shows from this long ago, like, 30 years now, and be like, okay, I'm going to listen to two, three, four from this one run at a time and kind of dig into it. And you really get a sense for just what a force they were on stage and, like, going through, now we're in the Versus era, going through these new songs, you get to see kind of, like, Go and Animal and Blood and Rearview Mirror and things like that kind of become what they would be on stage and like you get to see these kind of embryonic versions, even going back to slums, which you did a few weeks ago to back in October, starting with there and then seeing how things progressed into the fall. It's like they were a different band a year or two from this, but this kind of captures them at a moment in time where they were like, they had broken, but they weren't really the band that they would become yet. We talked about a couple weeks ago, like they still had that kind of naivete of like a young band that still wants to go out and push and, yeah, it's it's super interesting. And yeah, the show too, like the Green River thing was a huge deal. We talked about that as kind of putting a cap on this because like they only had a few more dates after this. But here we are. They come back for night two and, and still put on another great show.
0: Yeah, and I'll add to that. I think a lot of it at this point is just reps. It's repetition and it's getting those songs like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's why they keep getting better as they keep going on and on and on throughout this tour. They play Go Animal every night. They play Daughter and Glorified G most nights. They have played River Mirror a lot. They have gone through these songs and they've pretty much figured out what's the sweet spot for this and found out how to get the crowd to react to him. It's it's not difficult in this era. They're going to do anything for any song, but there still is that power, that force behind him that you can kind of get behind, and you feel like, oh, well, they're on their best game tonight, and we're going to give them all we got, and it's creating this atmosphere in the crowd where everybody's just moving, and everybody's crowd surfing and going all over the place. I think there's a moment where a fan snuck onto the stage, like kind of got carried onto the stage at one point. It took real quick, he was in and out, but like that's what was happening at the time. As they continued to evolve and get better live and feel more confident in what they were doing, the crowd, kept showing up and for a lot of people 1993 could be the year that they fell in love with this band that they wanted to go out and seek every single show and travel and all that so it kind of all starts here for many
1: kind of the you showed that like the 10 era was not a fluke We talked about, again, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, the sophomore slump is a real thing for bands. A lot of bands can't follow up that first album with a second album that meets that same quality, but Pearl Jam did, and a lot of people, they exceeded that, you know, versus, as everybody knows, sold nearly a million copies in its first week. A lot of people were paying attention. It was a progression, and they showed that they have that power to stick around and can turn this into something that was real.
0: Now, I want to bring this up because last week we did an episode that, you know, they had to uh, rearrange something on the fly with Dave getting sent to the emergency room, and they kind of had to work through the show, and it was a couple days after the arrest, so that's kind of hanging over Ed's head at the very least. So I didn't see and or feel, and again, that was from a low-quality bootleg compared to what we have of this show, which is a great recording and a video. And it didn't feel like last week's show had a lot of positive energy coming from the stage. It did in spots, but you can tell from watching this show that everybody's in good spirits. And I think a lot of that comes from just what happened the night before with Green River. I wonder if that is a major turning point for them on this tour to be like, whoa, what we're doing is something really special here. And then some of the monotony that comes in, in the middle shows when you're touring in Texas and Oklahoma and places like that and places they've never been to before that might not have anything for them during the day trips, this again, a big city and they have their friends there with them. So I think that positive energy bringing that in and there are only one more show in Reno before going all the way up to Seattle and doing three home shows all in a row. So I feel like that's a turning point to kind of end this On a really positive note, and this show definitely has some of that feeling.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to do it on night one too, because we always talk about oh, night two is the one where it's going to be the moment they're going to save the special thing for night two. You know, that's going to be the one that you want to go to, the one you want to pay attention to. But to do a Green River reunion on night one, you gotta like, okay, well, what are they going to save for night two? They've got to come back and play the next night, but. It's really unique. wouldn't think that they would save that for night one. I wonder what people were thinking going into night two. Be like, oh, man, were last night. Like, what are we, we going to get here? Is it going to be Temple of the Dog? Is it going to be something else? Like, we don't have a lot of that here. It's something to kind of go for it on night one and then to have to come back night two and be like, okay, now we're just going to play normal, quote unquote, Pearl Jam show.
0: All right. Well, before we get into talking about the show, let's bring up one thing, because we did have a little bit of news this past weekend, and that is that Matt went on a podcast. Matt Cameron, that is, if you guys are paying attention. Matt Cameron went on a podcast and said that the new album is done. It's recorded. It's mixed. It's ready. So there's a lot of different ways that you can take that. And I think the first thing for anybody who's like, when when's it happening? When's it happening? When's it happening? And we don't have those answers yet. So I think it's exciting. I think we're just starting to get now like, okay, here is the timeline. Here's what we have to do. And I know some rumors went around. I'm not going to address rumors for tour dates or anything like that because that's what they are, our rumors. But what it does is it tells us, Kind of a hint of what's to come in 2024. And it seems like from talking to Jonathan Cohen too last week that we're in for a pretty big year this year.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it feels like they got some momentum, especially the way that 2022 ended and we had to wait a long time for 2023 to happen. But knowing that the record is mixed and mastered, and usually mastered means like the track listing is done, it's ready to be sent to pressing for vinyl or CD or whatever else you're going to do. So I would expect it'll probably be similar to Gigaton. We'll probably have a single in January and then an album sometime in February or March. That'd be my guess. That's
0: what it's feeling like, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So, look, I think it's kind of a preparation for everybody and kind of tells you that a big year is about to come and we all figured that once we got into 2020 but 2020 ended up being another story hopefully 2024 goes off without a hitch no diseases no quarantining or anything like that so yeah it's on to the next hopefully the songs are good and hopefully the tour is going to go to so many places that everybody will get a chance to go and travel and see them all right you guys let's get into this show Release is opening up here, and Ed is out wearing a beanie and kinda dressed in all black. I wonder what the choice was for that, but this version of Release, to me, all power from the one and only Dave is. We talked about other versions this month when he implements that, and he's able to build upon what he's doing, and the band itself, when he comes in, on those builds. When Ed starts to really pick up his voice, the whole entire band starts to pick up. And there rises and falls that you really can't get from a Cameron performance. You get Cameron performances that are awesome and excellent, but these are different. These hit really hard for this kind of song that doesn't usually have this edge when you think about it. But during this time period, it was a killer.
1: Yeah, there's one fill that Dave has where you're like, that's like a rock fill. And we talk about so often these really intense, powerful, emotional versions of release. That's really not what this is. I hesitate to say like power ballad feel because that's not the right thing. You know, it's not Motley Crue doing Home Sweet Home or whatever, but... It does have more of a rock feel to it than the kind of emotional ups and downs that you go through nowadays with release. It's a different kind of version, and there's something cool at the end too. What Ed was singing my something at the end, he gets real quiet and sings something at the end, but couldn't make out what it was. Did you get a chance to check that out, understand what he was saying?
0: No, I could not crack the code on that one, yeah. unfortunately. There was yeah. another thing in this show, maybe another two things that I wasn't mm-hmm. able to crack either. So, mm-hmm. I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's just one of the things for this era that it was a great bootleg. Some things you kind of leave out, and some things yeah. you, you just kind of miss. So, yeah. But we are doing something now that we haven't gotten to do yet when covering 1993 shows, and that's open and go into the set with go and Animal back to back here. That to me is quintessential 1993. That's what I want out of every single show from this year because you know right away, look, I loved when Why Go was that kind of song that was used in the Go or Animal spot and then maybe they'd have Even Flow. They've done a couple of different things that we've covered in the last few weeks, but Go and Animal to me is the combination for this because that power that comes out of release just smooth transition into just going into the insanely fast go and then again transitioning into animal doing the same exact thing and this go is special this go hits you like a mack truck and it was exemplifying everything they did on this tour raw unfiltered pushing pace ramping up to a point where the crowd gets frenzied everybody bouncing around on stage mike and stone got face to face at one point and that's what you want out of Go, and they did it to perfection at this show.
1: Release into Go is everything that you want out of 1993. Yeah, I agree. That's really, really fantastic. And I agree, this version of Go rips. I think Jeff and Dave, I know it's the moment you're talking about where Mike and Stone kind of go together, but Jeff and Dave, too, just locked in completely and perfect fit for what they were doing. Animal, I have some different thoughts on, but release into Go, I'm on board. Yeah, what's your thoughts
0: on Animal? Animal to me, I. Uh,
1: and for as much a fit as Dave A was to this era, I think in Animal he's he's so busy, I think it distracts from the song and it takes away from just the power in the groove of animal. Like you get so used to hearing it the way Matt plays it now, that we've been hearing it for twenty five years and to go back and to listen to Dave here, it's almost like he's trying to match everything that Ed is doing with every little hit and it it just took me out of it a little bit. I couldn't get into this version.
0: Interesting. I didn't see that at all. Again, I just kind of saw it as power. And these songs at the beginning, I think it's just kind of going off of go, it's really hard not to maintain that, to kind of dip a little bit. And I think it's just all the excitement coming back at them. Again, this is following up a show that was very exciting, that everybody had to be feeling real good afterwards, going into the casinos and having a couple drinks and doing whatever. (laughs) Losing some money as we would find out one of the band members would do during this time as ed would say later but i think it's just dave a not being able to stop that momentum just going right through and blazing a storm on it all right well look next week we're going to have another version of animal from this era so we'll it's not following on our timeline we're kind of going backwards a little bit for next week we'll talk about that a little bit later so maybe it was a little bit different but We'll see when we see, essentially. All right. Why Go and Jeremy? Two versus two, ten on the back-to-backs here. So, Why Go again? As I mentioned, it is every show right near the top, and they seem to be feeling real good about it. Ed's doing those, hey, hey, hey from the very beginning, and that sounds awesome. And, you know, it sounds like every time that we get Why Go, That if you're watching it on video, it's almost like a commotion's happening on screen in the crowd. Even with Go and Animal being as crazy as they were, it felt like Why Go, the crowd just turned it up just a little bit. And I think it's just saying because it's not that Animal and Go have just been out for two months, but they've lived with Why Go for over a year. And you get a little bit more excited when you hear the stuff. That got you into the band. I don't know if a lot of people at this point got into Pearl Jam just by verses. I think everybody was into 10 and everybody knew 10. So I think that's why the crowd just picks it up just a little bit more and kind of creates a commotion. And it's a really, really good version, too. I thought watching the band on stage, you could tell they were in a really, really good mood. And yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, Go had a really good energy to it, and you could feel them pushing on, especially Jeff and Mike on that side, just absolutely going nuts.
0: This is another thing. Did you catch something that Ed said? I can't remember what part it was at, but he said, That was me, or something like that. Did you catch that?
2: Mm. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah, it was like right after a chorus. Okay. I- Yeah, I couldn't tell what that was. But again, if that's a storyline for this show, we'll just keep having to look out for all of them, I suppose. So now coming off of last week, I was not very impressed by that version of Jeremy. It didn't feel like they played up the hit. It just kind of felt like they were going through the motions with it. But this has a ton of push, a ton of build and big rise more than last week and the placement i think has a lot to do with that too again you talk about momentum going animal why go those are momentous songs you're not falling up on daughter or something like that where you have to build that back up so it's right here right in the middle and kind of ending the spot too so it's exactly what you want you're finishing up this little section on an upswing and then watching just Ed shriek his head back and forth. That's another thing that kind of reminds you of the VMAs from 1992, where he's just there, and his head is going back and forth, and he's vibrating, and just watching him do that, again, pretty intense. The crowd is very, very audible singing this one. So, yeah, great version of Jeremy.
1: Yeah, definitely, I think, benefits from being after go and the energy that go through Go built up. I think another song with Jeff and Mike kind of on that side really stealing the show, I thought.
0: Glorified G and Daughter, if you've been paying attention, that is the combination. It has some very effortless screams in Glorified G. That kind of took a hold on me there. It felt fierce, it felt dangerous, it felt like he had something to say, an attitude about that. And then it's interesting because with him doing that, they start off the heart from your neck part, and at the first line he does the here we go, and then transitions into doing more of the heart from your neck.
1: Yeah, it felt like he was going to lay off of it, and then you could see him change his mind. Like, oh, okay, yeah, here we go, we're going to go for it. And yeah, I think it worked out really well. It felt a lot like an improv kind of might be happening after Glorified g There was a little bit of, like, chaos on stage, stones doing something a little different. I thought they might be kind of going into an improv there, but it just kind of leads into a unique intro to Daughter.
0: It was really unique. I liked it a lot. And it's kind of this little interlude that Mike does right before getting into it. It kind of seeps through the first verse of the song. And it's a little bit like, I don't know, kind of 80s sounding. It's something that you would get from a police song. You know what the thing it reminded me of? It reminded me of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Tears for Fears. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Interesting. Daughter, I say it a lot, that daughter the song itself and not going into the tag. Sometimes they don't really change it up and try different things. They don't really experiment with it. So hearing something like that kind of seep into the first part of the song, I'm like, oh, all right, I'm picking up my head on this and I'm taking notice now because that's not something they ever do at all. I thought I thought it was great. I liked it. Even the 80s sound doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people look at the 80s sound, they're like, oh yeah, that's a very typical type effect for that time period but i dig it all right well since this is something a little bit different something that we don't hear from mike we had asked our guy hey what's going on javier got anything for us on this and as always he said yes here's what i got so here's what he got
2: hey randy hey john hey everyone on the podcast so this is actually a recording number two because i kind of screw up the first one <laughs> so anyways so we're going back to vegas 1993 and okay so if you do pay attention in between that little break in between glorify g and daughter something super funky and weird is going on so okay bear with me because there was a lot of research related to this So in between 1991 and 1993, Mike was using two delay pedals, the DM2, which is the one that we have talked to in the past, and a DM3, they're both made by Boss, they're both delays. Now, the DM3 has something that if you tweak it right, it might have some sort of reverb trail that is going to follow along that break in between glorifying daughter you can hear that there's something going on that is just not a regular delay it's a little bit like a ping pong delay that is going back and forth side to side it sounds like it was a stereo pan which makes no sense whatsoever because around this time actually never 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 mike has ran delays on stereo he only runs them in mono so we need to discard that possibility but and again when I was doing a little bit more research about this the information that I found is that in between 1992 and 1993 he was going back and forth in between the DM2 and the DM3 trying to figure out which one is going to fit better for the sound that they're trying to get around that time and around that tour I can't find any information just to tell you yes he was using the DM3 instead of the DM2 but there's another possibility. Since he was using at this time an MXR Phase 90, if you roll the speed of the MXR 90 all the way to the minimum, combined with the DM2, if that's the case, it can also create kind of like a reverb trail, but very hard to find. That's the closest that I can get, but I thought that was very interesting because it's a little trail of sound that we're not used to hear and especially because you can hear it in between that break in between glorify g and daughter and actually at the first part of daughter he continues to play that little rhythm that little chord that you can hear that reverb trail with a delay combined in the back so yeah that's the history lesson for this week
0: all right thank you abir we will talk to you again a little bit later in the show but great stuff as always now, that's not the end of the discussion on this song, because there is one moment where Ed gets a Doc Martin thrown at him on stage and he's holding it for a little bit. Again, anytime you talk about a shoe in 1993, it's Indio, shoes from my friends, which that'll come back later Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. if you have the year for that. And then we get a tag of the real me, which had been done a couple times on that tour. So what'd you think of that?
1: Yeah, I thought Ed was really passionate, and you could tell he was channeling his inner adultery there at the end of this. You know, that was something he had done a thousand times and was really relishing the chance to do it on stage like this. Yeah, these are really, really powerful and cool. You can tell he's getting a chance to do something that he really loves.
0: Oh, yeah. When the song fades out, he just kind of sits on it for a little bit and just keeps going and going. Yeah, I really like this. Dig into two more 10 songs. Look at that. Two verses. 210. Two verses. Yeah. 210. I wonder if it just worked packaged together. Interesting how that worked out. So maybe it's just they didn't want to switch guitars or anything like that, but it makes sense. So the 210 right here are going to be Even Flow and Garden. This Even Flow was tough to get Mike cooking. He probably lasted about like 15 to 20 seconds on a solo. It was not much at all. However, I think Stone is the discussion point here because not just for putting together a great groove and a great rhythm on the song, but I think his dance moves are worth mentioning on this version of Even Flow. He's just, he's doing a little bit of like a waddle and kind of bobbing his head back and forth. And then Mike comes over and he kind of does a little bit of a waddle too. Like he notices and it's, it's just really funny. It's Stone being Goofy Stone. I
1: almost had to stop. On this version of Evenflow and remind myself that I was listening to a live version. It's very, very faithful to the studio of version 110. It sounds almost exactly like Pace. Mention the solo that Mike does. When we talk about these, you want to say, oh, that's a bad thing. It's to buy the book. Like, they didn't go off the path on it and do something unique. But there's something to be said for a really, like, classic, faithful version of Evenflow in 1993. Like... I really really enjoyed this and it felt like it propelled along really nicely and didn't have a bad thing to say about it.
0: There we go, sometimes it is just good to stick with the original plan and I think you can count on maybe two hands considering that they had played this every single day in 1991 and 1992. They probably did it pretty true to the song a lot then we still got a lot of bootlegs to go to and there's a bunch that we'll never get to unfortunately unless somebody opens up some kind of vault out there but there are definitely versions where they've gone back to that yeah definitely sounding a lot more like the record there so the next song is going to be a request for somebody that stone met while he was losing money so there we go if anybody was going to be out at the casino it was stone the beginning of the song you said a couple weeks ago i don't know what made you say this i can't remember what it was but it was something that ed was doing during a song and now that it's coming to me it might have been glorified g when he had his heart over his chest yeah Yeah. and in this like the beginning of daughter he's kind of like doing like his hands turning and not like not like the queen, how the queen would wave, but kind of like in more of an ominous sort of like how a villain would do it. And again, I think you mentioned Dr. Claw at that moment and it feel like another Dr. Claw kind of move. I have no idea, but that's interesting. He's kind of playing up to some drama here, I suppose. And I guess with a darker song like garden, that's going to happen. But yeah, power persists. Dave has a really filthy fill that he does during every single version of the song and I think sometimes Matt has done it but I want to give a little shout out to what he does here because I think it's underappreciated when he does it it's in the last chorus and this is going to be our filthy filter for the day
1: for a filthy fill but for me this version really comes together on the solo section I thought what Stone and Mike are doing together was just outstanding I mean Mike on the garden solo is just letting loose completely but what Stone is doing underneath was really really cool as well
0: it seemed like Mike on this was soloing without a pick either he had a pick and he wasn't using it or he was just using his fingers a little bit more but it didn't look like he was using a pick it wasn't like in a typical way that you would hold it so i I think he was going pickless with this which is very very cool but you go to the end with this too and ed yells motherfucker and then for 10 seconds right at the end they just take it home and just kind of a slam note to end that i thought that that was really cool going to talk here. He's got a lot to say. Hey, what's up? And I don't know if anybody answered that question, but that was all he said. And I guess that's all that needs to be said before getting into blood. Because we talked about this last week. Again, one of the best things that I love about blood from this era is when they're able to kind of build up that tension and build up that drama within the breakdown of the song and like sit on that bass drum hit and kind of Ed doing some like breathy things that he sometimes does, and maybe there'll be an atomic dog tag or a fame tag, whatever they decide to do that night, but to that moment where they start building it back and then go right into an intense and angry and just killer ending to this. That's the blood that I will take 100 times out of 100 from any era, even a late era, don't care. Just give me that and just play up that drama and play into that and it's perfect.
1: yeah this is all about ed kind of channeling the frustration and kind of the rage some of the things that i think that had gone on the last few weeks which we talked about and which he's going to mention again pretty soon but yeah you can tell he's totally in the moment in this one at the end very very
0: cool good fire version of state of love and trust follows that one up too do you have anything on that
1: (laughs) did you see dave kind of smiling and doing a little head bobbing behind ed there like giving it up a little bit, breaking the fourth wall a little bit, kind of just kind of smiling, popping his head a little bit as he's playing.
0: Look, he's been known to have the cigarette in his mouth too and kind of have that moment. But every now and again, yeah, somebody will give Dave A a sign and Dave A will kind of break character a little bit. Yeah, it's fun to see. So now we're getting into two songs that I believe it was technically not last week. I think it might have been the week before that that these two songs were packaged together and we kind of made a mention of, hmm, wonder if they could have done something that was being done at the time. So the two songs that I'm talking about here, of course, are alive in footsteps. But where's once? Once again, that wasn't a pun. Once again, it was nowhere to be found. It wasn't at this show. But again, you're just nearly missing out on a Mamasan and you're about like three shows away before you're going to get it in full. So I have to think here, them doing it back to back live in footsteps, like is that preparing in their minds to be like, okay, maybe it's got to happen at some point this tour? Well, yeah,
1: I mean, after Alive, he talks about footsteps. And
0: this one kind of goes with
1: the last one, so you can tell that, like, that's on his mind. A lot of times, stuff like that can be foreshadowing for a show in the future where he'll sit down and make a list and be like, the other day I was thinking about it. Maybe we can do that. To put it kind of to the front of his mind a little bit, I think.
0: Now, this version of Alive has something that does come up every now and again, that we're not too hot on here. It's something that doesn't really look good for Ed at the time, but nobody really talks about it that much. And it's the moment where in the last verse for live, where he's doing the something wrong, she said, and Ed responds to that by saying, no, you fucking bitch. And it's just something at the time, nobody was really thinking about, okay, that's not a good look actually gets a great reaction every single time he does it because it's kind of like anti-authority saying he just called his mom a fucking bit like that gets a rise out of people. And in in this era, obviously we're older now and that's not really part of our vocabulary anymore. And if it is, then uh, I don't really know what to say, but it, it is a little cringeworthy when you go back on it, but you have to think because of the time You get it. It wasn't the best look, but you get it.
1: Yeah, and, like, he's trying to play up the character of it because the story was out. People know, you he's playing up this relationship and something that it's not. And, yeah, this wouldn't last past this little run of shows.
0: As far as the song goes, I think Ed and Jeff, like, headbanging in unison is really, really fun to watch. And once again, talked about it the last couple weeks, how Alive has been just great in and out and kind of surprising because once you get a couple years later Alive would be something that Ed would want no part in but these versions he's still very very high on the song he's doing all the chants and he's excited and getting into it and the band's rocking out so yeah Alive sometimes gets overlooked in 1993 but they were still banging out great performances it might just be one of those things where It's Alive, so yeah, it's meeting the standard and the bar that it gets, but versions of Alive that we've gone through in the past month have been really excellent.
1: Yeah, he's doing the yes at the end off mic too. We didn't have a video, we wouldn't see this, but he's kind of encouraging and doing those yes that we've come to know and love, not even at the microphone, just kind of encouraging the crowd.
0: Yeah, he's kind of screaming off mic when he's looking at the crowd, yeah, that was very, very cool. They were definitely feeling that song. As he mentioned before Footsteps, he says this song goes with the last one. And again, they got to be thinking about it. But it feels like a much more in-the-pocket groove for Footsteps. And the last two, it's interesting because the one from New Orleans kind of felt like it had a lot more pep in its step. And it was a lot more triumphant. And then last week... We kind of had differing opinions on this, but I I thought that without the drums, it kind of still tried to be triumphant, but it should have been a little bit more stark because that is where the wheelhouse is. And in this... It feels like they go back into what the typical kind of footsteps that everybody knows and loves is. And it's it's very good. It has a little bit of the darkness tapped into it. I think that's all coming from Ed's voice, but it's able to feel really soulful on this version. I, I love how, even at this time, they're starting to think, even with the reps that they're given for a lot of these other songs on this tour, that, okay, we can change this up. We can make it a little bit different. We can change the tempo and still works and still great. It definitely felt like it had more of
1: kind of a stark feel that you had talked about that you were wanting. From, mixed with more of the upbeat triumph. And this one felt like it kind of had a little bit of both. And I think you get kind of the best of both. worlds. Yeah,
0: it was just really good. All right. And it's going to actually talk at this time. So, so we finally made it to Vegas. It took us a while. Believe me, you were worth waiting for. I'm just excited because it's our second night here. Only one more show, and then after this, we're going home. This tour has been about six weeks, and I haven't washed my pants once. You could probably guess how many pair I have. He holds up precisely one finger. And he says, actually, I did wash them once, because I got blood and beer on them because I got into a fight. Again, that's something that just comes up because it's part of the story. I think I'm just excited to watch them, but you're not really grunge if you don't have a sty in your eye. That's a 1, 2, 3, 4 coming out of that going into Porch. As usual, flying out of the gate, and it's great. I think we're going to go to Javier on this one because Mike is just doing a ton to create that noise with his guitar. Almost like Sonic Youth type of sound with more of a classic rock approach on this I thought it was really interesting he's strumming really high up the fretboard really fast and then when strobe light comes in it feels like everybody's turned the switch and it turns into like this massive almost like horror movie moment that I remember them playing at the night before mixing in that strobe light version before we get into Javier talking about what do you think of the little Sonic Youth because I know you're Sonic Youth guy but kind of creating that noise with his guitar there
1: yeah, definitely like using the guitar in different ways and trying to be a little bit more atmospheric and a little bit weirder with it. That leads into what Port should be in '94 and some of like the show-stopping versions. We know that Mike can shred. We know that he can do these things, but he's learning to do different things and be noisier. And I like that a lot. And there's a really cool kind of droning sound later on. I think Stone is doing too, where it's just this almost like machine-like kind of drone sound that sounds really cool too yeah this is a really interesting
0: version of porch all right your guru take it away do what you do
2: So, first detail that we need to talk to. 1977 Gibson Les Paul Custom, which is something that has started to show up around this years. Most likely, I'm assuming, that it was because the band was starting to do well, so Mike could get a different kind of guitar, which is something like with a three-pickup PAF kind of sound. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool guitar. So, that's number one detail. Number two detail. Everybody knows that a gives on Les Paul through a Marshall, that's glory. Number three, minor pentatonic box in all its glory. Like He plays around this little pentatonic minor box for the solos that he's so well known of. Stevie Ray Vaughn used to do that as well a lot, including the ninth, also in some licks. But pretty cool stuff. Running the wah kind of like halfway through, a super creamy tone. And also doing little dive bombs with the fingers, like over the tree knot. And over the tree string which is even more amazing which is like how gifted is this guy right but yeah it kind of builds up momentum towards the most intense part but it's a pretty cool solo again it proves the point that around that time you have a lot of quote-unquote basic things like to a screamer like a very very loud amp but you can create so many things based on those three elements like it took like a wide palette of tonality a wide palette of sounds, just using a wah pedal to a screamer and a very loud amp. But yeah, that's porch, and it's it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing what you can hear on this one. And again, because when you go back to the first thing that I said, that Les Paul with three pickups, is very uncomfortable to play. It's basically that the pick in your hand has no room to kind of like maneuver around. And to give the speed, the velocity, like the articulation that Mike gets on those licks, it's absolutely outstanding. So shout out to Mike for this week. Maybe we should get a filthy lick for Mike with something is outstanding. I'll leave it up to John and Randy for that one.
0: I think I out with a wine bottle, and that gets us to the encore, so it's time to pause for station identification and talk a little bit about the things we talk about. So first off, let's thank a brand new patron, Chris Osta. Thank you for joining up on the bonus leg tier, Chris. You're really lucky because this comes at a time where we're going to have a couple of things going on in December, Patreon uh, episodes that... Everybody seems to love. I think you guys kind of know that at the end of the year, when we do our Christmas party, we reveal what the little bonus evolution episode is going to be. We did Dirty Frank last year, and we did the year before that, Let Me Sleep. So this year is going to kind of be something of that elk and something that maybe did happen on tour this past year. But before we get into that, we're going to have. An evolution episode on indifference and indifference is in the show we'll talk a little bit about maybe a little preview of what you'll hear in the evolution episode when we get to that point but lots of cool things going on on patreon those two evolution episodes getting two in a month after only doing two all year it's kind of how it goes sometimes but we're cooking up more ideas we're kind of getting on top of things and hopefully 2024 will be a better year for the evolution series i think we've gotten to a point now where we can kind of bang it out a lot quicker than we usually do so we will start working on that and get you more of that for 2024 it's been on our minds it's on our radar so i know you guys love all that and look donating to the show just helps us out it's really important to us You know, we got a lot of things going on for website funding. And then when the tour comes up, funding for the trip and everything like that and setting up parties and putting together all sorts of things that we do. A lot of the funding goes into that and making that all happen. So putting into the community and our community over at Patreon is great. There's so many good people over there that just love what's going on and pay attention to everything and really want to take in all the content that we give over there. And there's been some content recently. You guys got the Jack McDowell interview and you got the brand new Late Night Series episode on the first edition of The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien as the host. So the debut of Got Some is over there. And again, once I get out of this little thing that I'm doing here with moving and uprooting my life to a new state, then I'll be able to kind of focus on more. I'm, as a lot of you know, I'm working on my studio and trying to perfect my studio and I'll be kind of revealing that and maybe there will be some more video things in the future if that's the case, because I might want to show off some of my things over there. We'll see how that happens, but... If you are interested in all that, then the best thing that you can do to help us is go over to patreon.com slash live on four legs, or you can download the Patreon app and just search for live on four legs and subscribe that way. Or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and click the orange, become a patron button. That's at the top of every single page. And then you're there, you do it. You get access to all the content. If you donate a dollar a month, you get every single piece of content that we've posted. And if you donate five or $10 a month, then you will get an episode request that we will do on the show. And as always, we're getting to that point. It's almost 2024, it's almost here. We're getting to that point where we always start the year fulfilling some Patreon requests. So we will get to a lot of them next year, especially early on. The first two months are going to be a lot of Patreon stuff. So if you've been waiting for an episode, there's a good chance that you'll have your episode request fulfilled in January, February, or even as soon as May coming up in 2024. So you should be excited for that. And. Yeah, if you want to donate on the Horizon Leg tier, the $10 tier, then you will also get a profile episode about your Pearl Jam fandom. You can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about how it led you all to this point of even listening to a niche within a niche podcast about live shows and possibly one that you never even got the chance to go to. It's just fun to listen to bootlegs and all that. So yeah, if you're interested in all that stuff, Patreon.com slash live and come help the guys out and join up.
1: Well, yeah, I wanted to, I mean, we mentioned Chris who joined up this month and hopefully gets a chance to like go to the website, check out some of the back catalog of stuff, but to like get near the end of the year here, you know, our patrons who continuously keep going, you know, month after month, keep donating to the show, just amazing how many people we have that just keep supporting us? You know, love what you guys are doing. I'm going to keep it up for another month. That shouldn't go without mention as well. Like all the people who stick around month after month, that really means a lot.
0: Sure does. Yep. Everybody. And there's a lot of people that will take breaks from the podcast a little bit, but still donate. We really appreciate that, you guys. So, yeah, thank you, all of you, all 270 something of you. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a big push this year. Again, a lot coming from when the band was on tour. So if they're on tour as much as we think they are next year, then maybe Patreon will grow even more. But yeah, that remains to be seen. So, yep, that's where we are with that. One other thing I want to mention is, of course, going to mention this until it actually happens, the Zoom party that we do every year. That is our Live and Four Legs holiday party it is happening on December 14th, and we want you to make it there. If you're on our Facebook page, there is info on there. There's an event invite. If you're on Twitter, I'm sure I'll tweet about it. If you just want to get in touch on email and just say, hey, how can I get into the party, then I will send you a link and you are more than welcome to come as long as you don't do anything embarrassing. But yeah, it's a lot of fun every year. We get some live performances. We're going to do some kind of game show thing this year. So it'll be very exciting. So if you want in on that, I will send you the link to the Zoom. Just make sure you get in touch before December 14th. And hope to see you all at the party. And also the week of the party, probably earlier that week, we will have our best of 2023 tour moments that we put out last year. Same kind of thing this year, even with eight shows. So that should be really, really fun to read and go through. And there's a lot of great moments that happened. So, and a lot of you guys that chipped in and wrote about them. So we got some great guests that were involved with some of the moments and some of the songs. You're going to see an amazing entry from Monica, who was the girl with the journal that had talked about at the second Austin show before they did better man. So you're going to hear from, the guy with the severed hand that threw the severed hand on stage, his name is Matt. You're going to hear from a lot of these guys in this article. We're really, it's something that every single year we're really proud to do. So that is going to be up on legs.com in the next coming week or two. Look out for it very soon. All right, back to the rock, into the encore. A lot of people crowd surfing during the break here. Yeah,
1: the they, they did not take a break during the break. They were still going.
0: Yeah, the crowd was. But the the band took a break for a while. It was at least like almost five minutes that they were off stage for, which feels long for them because usually it's like, you know, go take a sip of water, come back out, and go play. But this one, I guess it took a while. I guess they needed to figure out what songs they were going to play. So before they get into that, this kind of caught me off guard because this isn't something that Five Horizons or LiveFootsteps.org had. And that's that they start off with an improv before getting into Rearview Mirror. And how is this not mentioned anywhere? I thought this was a really cool rock and roll groove and Ed singing some lyrics about having trust in me. And thought it was cool. And again, kind of going to just how great they sound in improvs like this, Ed just admitting at the end, yeah, we're just making this shit up if you're making this shit up, then you should have like 500 songs in your catalog, you know, like this is how they can do it. This is how songs come about when they're in the studio. You know, it's just mind boggling that they can just do this off the cuff and not have a direction for it and have it sound this good.
1: It's just like a blues riff kind of like a very sounds a little bit 70s kind of thing but I think it's the lyrics that really make it and really turn it into something more than that is yeah he's singing about like I can't be a trusted man Ed really takes this to another level you know without the vocals I think it's a little bit more forgettable but the lyrics again it gives you an insight into kind of what he's thinking at the time which is invaluable and really interesting.
0: All right, that'll take you into Rear View Mirror. I love this. I gotta mention it every time they do it, which is not often, but getting the extended intro with a few extra measures, oh, it's one of my favorite things. Just keep going on and on and on for as long as you can. Just the instrumentation of the song is just great to me. If they had an instrumental version of it, I'd be all over it, I'd listen to it constantly. It's remarkable, I love when it comes up. And then, focusing on uh, getting to the bridge the bridges were not this long drawn out extended thing in 1993 but they kind of work out a little bit it's the same thing that they really do all the time and they kind of create a little bit of noise and kind of create a little bit of tension before rolling into the base and kicking you back in to where they're going to create another earthquake in this and i thought it had that perfect scream mike had the piercing solo behind him that elevates this and just runs into the wall on the ending here just big take-home moment on it and had the crowd fired up just a really good rear-view mirror what else to say
1: you can tell that Ed is super excited to be playing guitar too he's actually smiling and kind of like playing it up with some of the guys it was really really
0: fun to see so at this point for as long as they were commiserating backstage it didn't look like they have a, an actual plan, because Ed is saying, hey, what do you want to hear? And it looks like the band is deliberating a little bit, and he's legitimately trying to, like, listen to the crowd and listen to what they want. And then some of the guys in the crowd asked to hear release, and he's like, oh, yeah, that was the first song we played. You want to hear it again? And then Stone plays it for like a split yeah. second. Just Barely plays the first
1: much. few notes, yeah. These guys are asking for release. That was the first song we played. Can
0: I hear it again? Okay, alone so what they decide on is going into a song that we ended up covering a couple times on this run and that's alone once again it's very similar to the last one we got because ed's doing that i can't help myself can't help myself kind of improv lyric there the breakdown as we did last week it kind of drones on sounds really good there the only thing that i love out of alone that it doesn't have is just the lyrical reprise at the end of this i thought afterwards it did seem like they were kind of leaving a little bit of trail for ed to do that but it just never materialized covering alone
1: a couple of times in the last few weeks has been really eye-opening maybe but what this song could have been if they had stuck with it they only were doing it the one before was a request too like It sounds so good. That last version was great, too, that we talked about. And this one's nearly just as good, too. Just an absolute masterclass from Stone, I thought. Just played it perfectly. And they only did it a few more times in 94, and then it went away for 10 years. It's like, oh, if this had only gotten more of a shot, like, if it had only gotten a chance to be on a record, like, what could it have been? Because it sounds so great here. I think it's one of the highlights of the show.
0: Yeah, what's weird about Alone compared to some other songs out there is that alone doesn't really have like a key change or anything like that that you're like oh i can see like most of the ones that come up it's like evacuation or get right where yeah they're matt cameron songs those are really hard to play live because of the time signatures and everything like that i don't see anything musically in alone where they're like ah that's that's a pain in the ass to play i just don't see it i don't hear it so yeah it is a little boggling to the mind why they just kind of dropped it maybe they just felt like it just wasn't one of those songs that made sense moving forward and then once the time they got to do it after the layoff in 2004 in boston i believe everything was coming back at that time anyway so right. it was gonna end up making its way back but when you talk about the serious collector kind of song a lot of times when i've seen alone which i believe is two he's done the this is for the serious collectors bit so yeah they they know they know it's one of the rare cuts and they know that they're not going to bring it out a whole lot but should they have yeah maybe they could have but again it's all within what's going on in their minds in 1995 and onwards and they have a lot more songs that they want to play that they want to get to and this one might have just again drummers changed too to jack to matt and they're not thinking about this so that could be a factor as well in the recording you're able to hear some girls in the background say play black." Play black, but it looks like it's about to be the full-on party performance that you get at the end of the shows. Ed asks for the house lights. And then he does the line here. Help to my friends. Everyone, we'd like to give you a hand,
1: go ahead, overkill, mud only will you.
0: I wonder if that was just something that he done at the time. And yeah. he just kind of joked around. I was like, oh, shoes for my friends, drinks with my friends, like that kind of thing. And then they didn't realize that it was kind of a callback to reference the moment when he was on stage getting shoes thrown at him. Yeah, I mean, India was a month before this. It's not
1: like it did just happen. They had already been across the country right. and back, basically. But it's the exact same intonation, like you mentioned, like you do kind of a double take, like, wait, I've heard this. All of a sudden, there's three drummers, Mark Arm's got a guitar, and chaos has ensued.
0: Yeah, to kind of add on to that, also at the time, it wasn't really iconic just yet because the single didn't come out on uh, the Christmas single and all that, so people didn't have bootlegs that weren't circulated, so it it would come to be over the years that you would know that shoes for my friends line. And back then Ed was probably just like, this is how I just say shit and didn't realize it was going to turn into an iconic moment. But yeah, there's a lot going on on rocking in the free world. Dave's got a lot of help back there. Like you said, and it's just one of those very early versions of this where it feels like they invite their friends and have a big party on stage Easy song, everybody at the mics together having fun. It does feel like that extra drummer, they're able to create almost like a double bass thump on this with Dave, and it sounds great. Just a lot of massive hysteria happening with people all over the stage, and just Mark and Steve have to feel really rewarded on this weekend, too, again, from the day before the green river reunion so them being called back out is another thing and again i gotta read his book he just put out a book called mud ride and i really got to read it yeah if my secret santa is listening that is on my wish list so hopefully they can take a look at that and say hmm all right this sounds good But yeah, maybe he touches up on how the relationship was at the time. And if this was kind of a moment where fences were mended or anything like that, but it has to feel real good for them to have another moment with Jeff and Stone on stage, all partying and hanging out together. I'm sure that meant the world to both Mark and Steve.
1: We had kind of a question, I think last week about who had come out to play on drums after Dave had to leave. And this one, it starts out with both Black Eonassus from Urge Overkill and Chuck Treese, who's their kind of their touring bass player. Both of them are helping out Dave on the drums. And it's weird to see Mark Arm playing guitar, too. Every time we've seen him at a pro Jam show, he's just coming out to do vocals on Sonic Reducer, or kick out the jam, something like that. But he's actually playing guitar, strumming along. Nash Cato from Urge Overkill comes out to sing, he's holding the drink, looking very Vegas. But then the funniest thing for me is I think Jeff calls Chuck over... And says, here, you take this. And Jeff just starts jumping around while Chuck plays bass on it. It's just one of those shenanigans kind of versions.
0: Yep. Again, for the time, they weren't inviting the opening band to go do that. So it was just Vegas is the place that you party. And they created it up there. And you'd think that would be the closer for the show. But they're going to leave. And we're going to get one more. And as I mentioned before, we are doing an Evolution episode on this it's Indifference to close the night. And yeah, 1993, Indifference, it was one of those songs where when the crowd at the end of the night is all just fired up hearing everything that happened, they need like a come down almost. They need one moment where they can just clap and they can just not go home off. I believe one of the shows that we did in this past month had Leash to close on. So it's not going home on that note where it's got some starkness, it's got some tense moments to it, but also the crowd is in it for themselves, too, while they just kind of clap and kind of enjoy what's happening here. It does seem a lot like a lot of these versions that we'll talk about from very early on that the crowd isn't just staring blankly at the band. They are like actively participating in this song
1: these 93 versions all about Ed kind of figuring out how to kind of channel his voice the right way to kind of make this feel a little bit more powerful and kind of learning how to sing it because it's such a different thing than they'd ever done before even so different from something like "Release Releaser Oceans from the first record and the crowd was picking up on some of the moments on it the scream my lungs out moment and this version's all about Ed using the power of his voice to turn it into something special.
0: More on that when the Patreon-exclusive episode comes out, where we will evolve from the very, very beginning to the very, very end. So get excited, because those episodes are always a treat. So now we're at the end of the show, and it's time to pick a couple of moments to go back on. Well, I kind of said this last week that I was looking to put this song in my top three, because I felt like... 1993 just needed this kind of attention for Blood. So Blood is number three. I like the little intro, the little tears for fear sounding kind of thing in the beginning of Daughter. So Daughter's going to be number two. And number one for me is gonna be Go. Because it hit you in all the right places. It is the power song for this era that works so perfectly. It's my number one. All right. I think
1: I've got three completely different ones here. My number three is Alone. Talked about how much I enjoyed that from this. My number two is Even Flow. And my number one
0: is Porch. Porch barely missed my list, but mm-hmm. yeah, Porch is a really good number one. It's always a good thing when we have three different ones because it kind of shows you that there were things for everybody to like out of this show. So yeah. consistency. Yep. The consistency is great. Now we get into the rating here. I'm going to go real simple. I'm going to go eight and a half for this. I thought this was a really good show. I liked how, again, coming off of what we did last week, that the positive energy was radiant, that everybody was just bouncing on stage. The performances were really good. Felt like it had a lot of energy to it. And, yeah, this is just a really, really solid show. I don't think a lot of people really talk about it a whole lot. And it had some really cool moments, so 8.5, I'm right in that window there.
1: Yeah, we did put Night 1 in the Hall of Fame. It did get the double 10. But, yeah, this one, it felt like it just was missing that big moment, and it feels like one of those things that's just overshadowed. So I'm I'm right there at a solid 8 on this one.
0: All right. 8 and 8.5 and on the board for that one. Not too shabby, better than we did last week, but... I think when you give a show an eight and eight and a half, it's telling you, yeah, listen to this one. You'll enjoy it. Nines and tens are obviously like, you need to listen to this one. So if there's any breakdown of the ratings, that's kind of how it goes. And then once you get into sevens, it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's all right. But if you want to skip it, you're not missing too much. And then once you get lower than that, it's kind of like, yeah, go do something else. So, if anybody wanted to know, kind of the idea of how we rate stuff—that's entertainment, sort of least purposes, only for oh, entertainment 100% purposes only. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent, because every show is ten to somebody. So, if this show was a ten for you, then awesome. Share your story with us, and we would love to hear it. But next week. I kind of teed this up before, so again, I'm moving right now, and things are very, very hectic, and we were originally supposed to do the Vancouver show from 2013. Now is not the best time for me to research and then edit a 2013 show. Those are pretty big shows. Yeah, it's going to be three
1: hours. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I was really excited because, you know, we... I haven't done Vancouver in 5 years and that feels weird to me because that's kind of like a home away from home a little bit it's like the closest spot in Canada that they play so it felt like you know we had needed to do a Vancouver show and thankfully to stay on this trend of doing 1993 and I'm I'm ready to get off it I'm ready to get off it but I know getting one more in is, is the game plan here So we are going to stick with Vancouver. We're going to stick with 1993. We're going to smash them together like peanut butter and jelly and do a September show from before versus came out where they did 16 songs in Vancouver. Next week, we'll hear from the hallucinogenic recipe guys about the 1993 bootlegs, and that should be really exciting. So hopefully you guys are into that. And yeah, Vancouver's story will be told a little bit. It's, Again, something that we haven't talked about a whole lot, so it's interesting to me and interesting to John, and hopefully you guys will be excited about Vancouver. And then after we're done with that, then you can think about the last two episodes of the year being shows from this year. And we obviously have two shows from every show that went on. So we are doing both Chicago shows. It was something that we basically decided right away after those shows ended that we needed to discuss and talk about these moments again. There will be a lot of stories to be told. A lot of you live them with me, so you're going to hear them again. You're going to enjoy them again, I'm sure. So after next week in that Vancouver 1993 show, we're going to get into both Chicago shows from this year, and I think a lot of people are going to be really, really excited about that. But before all those episodes come out, this is something that you can do right now if you want to help us. If you are not subscribed to us on any podcast platform, just go to the podcast platform that you're listening to us on right now and hit subscribe. Usually it's Apple Podcasts. Usually it is Spotify, but any podcast provider that you use that has a rating system, feel free to give us the five-star rating. If you think that we deserve it, we feel like we've done the research for it and we feel like we deserved it, so hopefully you guys feel the same way. And on Apple Podcasts, of course, you can leave a comment for us. And as I say every week, it's not really a comment for us. It's a comment for the next person looking to listen to a Pearl Jam podcast and trying to look for maybe a show that they've been to and somebody talking about a show that they've been to. And if somebody gets interested in that and they're into that, and then they want to say, Hmm, this Vegas 1993 show, I want to listen to this now. And they kind of get sucked into the rabbit hole. It does happen. Sure does happen. Then that's how it all starts. And then they'll leave a comment and hopefully get more people interested in it. So if you, have listened to this show and there's something that you really appreciate from a show that we've done an episode just a talking point that we've had please feel free to leave it as a comment on apple podcast and that will help us tremendously all right let's close this one on out this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always From the last time in my Stratford, Connecticut studio, soon to be in Syracuse, New York. Studio, not yet named, but we could do a little contest if you want. I'm open up to just about everything if you want to name the studio something. That could be a possibility in the future. But next week, I will be recording from then, and we will be in the new next kind of generation era for Live on Four Legs. So until then... Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Help from our friends.